one summer day a few years ago, I was standing in the front lobby of the seminary when the delivery man pulled up. And when he saw me, he came running in, rushing right up to me and, and said he had to tell me a story. He said yes, the day before, yesterday, it had been his son's birthday. So his wife and some friends of the family had taken his son to the Red Barons baseball game. That's a, a minor league team in northeast Pennsylvania. And so they had really good seats. There weren't many people at the game. So they were sitting there, empty bleachers in front of them, really good seats. When a guy walked in late in the game, I don't remember which inning, walked in, this man walked in, climbed up the bleachers, and out of all the seats in the whole stadium sat immediately in front of the kid whose birthday it was. And so they were all looking at him, kind of miffed, thinking, you know, you have the whole stadium to pick. Why did you sit right in front? Just as soon as he sat down, the batter really got a good connection on the ball, and the ball came flying right towards his son's face. And the man sat there right before the baseball got to him. He just reached up like that and caught it with one hand, turned around, handed the ball to the boy and said, I guess my job here is done. Then he got up and left. He wasn't there for more than a minute. And they were all kind of stunned, every one of them, the mother, the friends, the son. And all of them thought, we've seen an angel. And the delivery man couldn't wait to find somebody to call her and tell him this story. And I said, well, I think you've probably seen it too. And quite possibly some of the rest of the people in here have had experiences like that. We'll never know in this life whether or not that was an angel, that particular incident. But how is it that an angel that's a purely spiritual being can show up looking just like a man, which we know from both scripture and tradition they sometimes do? To answer that question, we'll follow the teachings of the angelic doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas. So we have to do a quick little review why? Because they're spiritual beings. Now remember that our intellect has ideas in it. Those are unchanging, immaterial concepts. Images are found in our imagination. Images are changeable, material representations of things. Our imaginations, remember, make pictures of material things. Material things. Angels are not material things. So any picture we make of an angel, we have to keep that in mind, is going to be wrong. So let's not let our imaginations... Uh, mislead us because imaginations can't depict spiritual realities as we remember quick review too the difference between spirit and matter matter has parts so it can fall apart spirit has no parts and remember that a being with no parts does not occupy space anything that occupies space must have parts a being without parts has no spread space and it have nothing in common it's spaceless a being without no parts, or with no parts, is superior to the need for space. An angel has no parts. Angels do not occupy space. And since angels have no parts, they can't fall apart. So by necessity, angels are immortal. One other thing, we need to remember that the abilities of spirit, we looked at three of them. Spirit has the ability to know. That's one of them, to know ideas. Another is to love make acts of the will. The third is they have power over matter. In the case of our spirit, the spirit we've looked at before, our soul, it has power over our body. Remember again, spirit's immaterial, simple, and has no parts. Okay, having done the review, I pose the question. Okay, Father, what size and shape are angels? We should already have this one. Since an angel is a spirit, since he has no parts, since he's superior to space, since he's spaceless, he has nothing in common with space. That means he has no size and no shape. Since size and shape, as soon as you say the word size, you're necessarily talking about matter. As soon as you say the word shape, you're necessarily talking about matter. Okay? But I might can't imagine that. 
That's true. You can't imagine that. But you can understand it. Okay, Father. Then if angels are pure spirits and have no size and shape, why would you introduce this sermon by telling a story about something that you thought was an angel that appeared very much like a man? Are you going to tell us he doesn't have size and shape? No, of course he had size and shape. Angels can assume bodies. What does that mean? What does it mean that an angel can assume a body? Angels are spirits. Spirits have power over matter. And angels have incredible power over matter. So they can gather matter up and form it and shape it into the shape and color of the body they desire. For example, John Bosco often had an angel that would appear that looked like a large mastiff or black lab. St. Raphael appeared to Tobias as a young man. Wait a minute, Father. Didn't you say angels form matter into bodies? Are you telling us those aren't real bodies? That they're not real dogs or real men? They are real bodies. They're not real dogs. And they're not real men. The angels kind of make them from scratch, from a little of this and a little of that. Are you saying these bodies aren't alive? No, they're not alive. Of course they're not alive. What do you mean, of course not? Don't they walk and talk or bark and and do things? Yes. Angels make bodies that will walk and talk and so forth. It will make a body, and then it will use that body as an instrument of himself. But it's not a living body. Remember that a living body has a soul. We learned that a living body has a soul. The soul is the principle of life of a body. We remember there's three kinds of souls. There's vegetative, which give life to plants. There's sensitive, which give life to animals. And there's spiritual, irrational, which give life to men. The only spirit that's a soul, the only spirit that's a soul, is a human soul. The human soul is the only spirit that's the principle of life for a body. So these angelic sort of do-it-yourself assemble in five nanoseconds or less bodies don't have souls because angels aren't souls. Angels don't have bodies. Angels are pure spirits. So when an angel whips together a body, it's not as if this angel who's already complete has suddenly built himself a body that he's the soul of. Angels are not souls of bodies, okay? All right, Father, I can see that angels aren't souls, but if they're not souls and these bodies aren't alive then how can they walk and talk and do all those kind of things that they apparently do if they're not alive? The bodies, like the body that the angel Raphael made to accompany Tobias, are the instruments of the angel. The angel can use the body that he's made to make sounds in the air that sound like the human voice, to make the body move so it appears to be walking, talking, breathing, but these bodies don't see, hear, speak, think, or move about like we do. They're not alive. So, Father, are you saying these are sort of like mega-sophisticated angelic puppets or sort of the angelic version of claymation? Yes, they are. But the angels aren't limited to making visible bodies. What is that supposed to mean? What that means is that since angels have such incredible powers over matter, they can also do other things. They can form air into sound waves that will sound maybe like singing, angelic singing, or voices speaking, or a voice speaking. Another thing is angels can place images into our imaginations. They can't place ideas into our intellects, but they can place images into our imaginations. What does that mean? That means that an angel could place an image into a man's imagination 
which would cause that guy to see something. Even though there might be a whole crowd of other people standing right there that couldn't see it, he'd be seeing it. Why? Because he'd have that image right there in his imagination. Or he might hear something. Even though other people were around, so there weren't sound waves actually hitting their eardrums, he would be having this, this auditory image in his imagination where he could hear something, maybe voices speaking to him, or feel something. He might feel poking, hot, cold, or smell, smell roses or something that no one else can smell. The angels can put those sort of images into our imagination. Our imagination, remember, has material representations, and the angels have access to those. Wait a minute. Are we saying that angels can cause people to see things no one else can see, hear things maybe no one else can hear, smell things or feel things no one else can see? Those sound an awful lot like apparitions. The reason those sound like apparitions is because these are a kind of apparition. On another day, we'll take a closer, detailed look at just exactly what the different possibilities are for apparitions, but these are certainly a possibility. There are three things we should burn into our minds, though. First off, unfortunately, images can't be, aren't limited. The images placed in our imagination aren't limited to only the good angels. The devils can also place images in our imagination, and they often do. Second point. It takes a special charismatic gift from the Holy Spirit to discern true apparitions from certain very tricky false ones. Some apparitions are a no-brainer. If it's like a bad movie that came into your mind out of nowhere, you don't need a special charismatic gift for that. But very tricky ones, they do. And there are men that have this. They're the men that, that always have this gift we call bishops. Since we're not bishops, we have to be extremely careful here when we're discerning spirits. Third, generally speaking, to receive apparitions is of generally of absolutely no use to the salvation of the per person receiving them. It's frequently a very great danger to their salvation. We should never, ever, ever pray or desire to see an apparition. This kind of desire is an invitation for an angel to cause an apparition, and it won't be a good angel. It will be a devil. Okay, three points. Devils can do it. Bishops can tell a difference. We should never desire to personally experience an apparition. Having said all that, since today is the Feast of St. Michael, and since in April of 1994, our current Holy Father, John Paul, asked us, every Catholic in the world, to recite the prayer of St. Michael every day to, quote, obtain help in the battle against the forces of darkness and against the spirit of this world, close quote, and since most Catholics don't know the story of how that prayer came to be written, we'll close today by looking about just that. On October 13th, 1884, exactly 33 years to the day before the miracle of the sun at Fatima, Pope Leo XIII had just finished celebrating Mass at his private chapel in the Vatican, attended by some cardinals and Vatican staffers. At the end of Mass, he suddenly froze at the foot of the altar for about ten minutes, apparently in a trance. He had to be helped away, and he was pale white and seemed to be in shock. He explained that he had heard two voices speaking. The sound was coming from somewhere near the tabernacle. One voice was kind and gentle. The other voice was guttural and harsh. And as he had listened, standing there at the foot of the altar, he had heard the following conversation. The guttural voice the voice of Satan in his pride, boasting to our Lord, I can destroy your church. The gentle voice of our Lord, you can? 
then go ahead and do so. Say, to do so, I need more time and more power. Our Lord, how much time? How much power? Say, 75 to 100 years and a greater power over those who will give themselves over to my service. Our Lord, you have the time, you'll have the power. Do with them what you will. After this apparition that he heard, very similar to that recorded in the book of Job, Leo XIII composed the prayer to St. Michael. Well, we all know that prayer. Actually not. We all know the abridged edition. The entire prayer composed by Leo XIII is quite long and quite alarming. We'll close by my reading to you an approved translation, English translation, of the prayer composed in Latin by Leo XIII. It'd be fitting for those that can to kneel down and unite yourselves to the intentions the Holy Father was expressing and pray for St. Michael's intercession. The prayer to St. Michael the Archangel by Leo XIII. O glorious Archangel St. Michael, Prince of the Heavenly Host, be our defense in the terrible warfare which we carry on against principalities and powers, against the rulers of this world of darkness, spirits of evil. Come to the aid of man, whom God created immortal, made in his own image and likeness, and redeemed at a great price from the tyranny of the devil. Fight this day the battle of the Lord, together with the holy angels, as already thou hast fought the leader of the proud angels, Lucifer, and his apostate host, who were powerless to resist thee, nor was there a place for them any longer in heaven. That cruel, that ancient serpent, which is called the devil or Satan, who seduces the whole world, was cast into the abyss with his angels. Behold, this primeval enemy and slayer of men has taken courage. Transformed into an angel of light, he wanders about with all the multitude of wicked spirits, invading the earth in order to blot out the name of God and of his Christ, to seize upon, slay, and cast in eternal perdition souls destined for the crown of eternal glory. This wicked dragon pours out as a most impure flood the venom of his malice on men, of his depraved mind, corrupt heart, spirit of lying, impiety, blasphemy, his pestilent breath of impurity, and of every vice and equity. These most crafty enemies have filled and inebriated with gall and bitterness the church, the spouse of the Immaculate Lamb, and have laid impious hands on her most sacred possessions. In the holy place itself, where has been set up the sea of the most holy Peter and the chair of truth for the light of the world, they have raised the throne of their abominable impiety with iniquitous design that when the pastor has been struck, the sheep may be scattered. Arise then, O invincible prince, bring help against the attacks of the lost spirits to the people of God, and give them the victory. They venerate thee as their protector and patron. In thee, Holy Church glories as her defense against the malicious power of hell. To thee has God entrusted the souls of men to be established in heavenly beatitude. O pray to the God of peace that he may put Satan under our feet, so far conquered that he may no longer be able to hold men in captivity and harm the church. Offer our prayers in the sight of the Most High, so that they may quickly conciliate the mercies of the Lord, and beating down the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, 
do thou again make him captive in the abyss, that he may no longer seduce the nations. Amen. Behold the cross of the Lord, be scattered hostile powers. The Lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered the root of David. Let thy mercies be upon us, O Lord, as we have hoped in thee. O Lord, hear my prayer, and let my cry come unto thee. Let us pray. O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we call upon thy holy name, and we supplantly implore thy clemency, that by the intercession of Mary, ever-Virgin Immaculate, and our Mother, and of the glorious Archangel St. Michael, thou wouldst deign to help us against Satan and all other inclined spirits who wander about the world for the injury of the human race and ruin of souls. Amen. Pope Leo XIII, October 13, 1888. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.